Welcome to Five Cats, Two Pussies. This is Ronnie. And this is Lindsay. And wait for it. Oh. It's our Pussy Hall of Fame episode. Woo! Pussy Hall of Fame. Pussy <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> so we did one of these last year, this week as well. Yeah. And we have now our second annual Pussy Hall of Fame where we induct individuals who embody the true spirit of what it means to be a pussy, which we will recap for you in just a little bit. Totes, dude, totes. But aside from a great episode, we would love to share with you, our listeners, how our week was. So, Lindsay, how was your week? I had an okay week. My... My laptop isn't doing so great oh, right now. I know, buddy. It's, I'm so uh, sorry. Dude, it's I, uh, the charger stopped working. On, the laptop still works, but the charger doesn't work. And I ordered a new charger, and that didn't fix it. So I think it's something with the like charger connection thing, maybe. Well, I don't I, know. I hope that it's just something easy, simple, a simple fix. You know what? Also, wasn't great this week. I had to pick up a cat turd with my hand. That's <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> um, was it in the sink? No, it no no. So I guess that's a positive. It was not <laughs> in the sink. Was it, it wasn't in the sink? And I'm guessing since that was a positive, it also wasn't in your bed. No, it also was not in my bed. No. So I have the litter robot right, which is this amazing machine. It's a litter box that like cycles everything for you. So not you don't a have sponsor. To scoop, scoop the poops, but. Every, like, few months, you got to give it a real good cleaning. Like, you have to take it apart and, like, make sure everything's clean and, like, scrub it and, like, make sure all the sensors can do their sensor stuff. And mine stopped doing that probably, like, a month ago at this okay. point. <laughs> but I've been too lazy to, like, actually clean it. So when that happens, basically, it just doesn't tell you when it's supposed to be changed. So there's like this drawer that after it cycles, it collects the the stuffs. And when it's not sensing that, it either tells you that it's always full when it's not, or it just doesn't tell you at all on your phone. Okay. It's, an, it's like an app on your phone. Oh, wow. That's a really smart litter box. It's so smart. So I like, but I us- I'm usually pretty good about checking once a week. So this week I waited like a couple of days longer than I usually do before I checked it. And boy, that <laughs> drawer was full. Dude, I can't even imagine. We have two cats and we scoop... Man, we try to scoop daily because if we don't, our little litter box fills up so fucking fast. They use so much litter. Yeah. I mean, the litter robot is so great in that and that it just like it does most of the things for you. But because I've been a fucking lazy ass, it hasn't been telling me the things that I needed to tell me. So this like the drawer that everything collects in was real full. I pulled it out and I was like, oh, no, I don't think it's going to all stay in there as I'm like pulling the bag up over it because it all lands into a bag that you then pull up. And okay. it's so it's very clean. So I open the drawer. A rogue turd falls out. Oh, no. Yes. And I was like, oh, no. And usually I'm I'm like like I'm gonna wash my hands after I'm doing it anyway, but I'm like I still don't wanna sure. touch the cat yeah. turd. <laughs> I was like, fuck it. So I just I picked up the cat turd and I pulled out I pulled pulled out the bag, I put the cat turd in the bag, I pulled it out, I like wrapped it up, I stuck it outside to take it down later. Then I go to put the like a new bag back in and put the drawer back in. 
there was another turd. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I had to pick up two fucking turds with my bare hands. Now, is this enough of a deterrent that you'll be more diligent or are you just like, no, ah, that's a fucking thing I had to do. It's just a thing I had to do. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I would 100% also be. It's a thing I had to do. It's the same to me as like I recently did did a classic Ronnie and my I pulled my pants down, my cell phone was in my back pocket oh. and boom boom oh, into no. the toilet. Oh. I didn't even hesitate. I just like sleeve up fucking fisted that toilet, grabbed my phone, threw it in the sink, peed, and was like, I'll deal with you in a second. Well, at least but it was like, clean toilet water, though. At it least was there wasn't, yeah. like, a dookie in yeah, there. Yeah, no. It was, a, it was super clean toilet water, and it was my toilet, not a public toilet, but yeah. still. I mean, either way, toilet water is toilet water, dude. And phones are pretty good about, like, being in the toilet for a minute oh, yeah. now. Oh, yeah. This is not the first time <laughs> I've dropped my phone in a toilet. But it reminds me of that in that, like... I don't know. Sometimes it's just shit you had to do. You know, like, yeah, but you just got to pick it up with your bare hand. But it's a bummer, man. It's, it's, not, it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but we persevere and, and we hang do. in there. <laughs> I did wash my hands afterwards. I washed them extra good. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Speaking of cats, at least, you know what we should remember to do. Light our little kitty head ritual candle. We should. All right, I'm going to do that. Her head is starting to get, like, pretty concaved. But overall, like, it's still pretty well formed. Like, kind of like the middle of the ears are getting burned out a little bit. But it still looks like a cat head. Yeah, it absolutely looks like a cat head. But, yeah, I'm I'm assuming that at this point, the wax is going to start to drip out the ears. I hope so. <laughs> Honestly, I do. <laughs> and we'll see where it goes from there. If it's too much of a mess, we can't burn it on top of the studio because then we'll get wax on everything. So we may have to switch to a new candle. But I bet this one makes it to spring. I think it will, dude. I Honestly, think I think it will. Like, we're beginning of March now, so. Yeah. And, and you know, we're pros, so we record a couple episodes at a time. So really, we only burn this candle every once in a while. Yeah, and we'll once, make in, it. once in a while, our recordings are really fast, so. Well, kind of fast. Not today, though. <laughs> not, today. No, no, not today. Not today. Because today's episode is going to be all about our Pussy Hall of Fame. And so before we take a quick break, I want to sort of set the stage so you know what you're in for before we dive into the body of this yeah, episode. Yeah, let's set the stage. Okay, so... This is a great time. Maybe you're a new listener. Maybe this is your first ever episode. Or maybe you've been listening along, sort of picking out the ones that you want because you're like, oh, cryptids are cool. And I want to know more about clover or cloves. And you've been just sort of, you know, piecemealing your episodes together. Now, a couple times a year, we like to sort of pause and be like, we're pussies. And what does pussy mean to us and the show? And why do we have a pussy hall of fame? Because I think we all know that pussy sometimes refers to genitalia. And it's cute. It's a lovely play on words. Five cats, two pussies, the two of us, we both have vaginas. (laughs) But (laughs) pussy is so much more than that. So much more. So, what is a pussy and why do we have a Hall of Fame? A pussy, for us, is everything, honestly, sort of started with, everything that uh, a like genitalia of the biological female sex encompasses and embodies and then sort of extrapolated from there. So a pussy is somebody who is soft and giving, who is receiving, 
who can fucking take a beating and stand up strong. Somebody who takes no shit. Somebody who knows what they believe in and isn't afraid to fight for it. Somebody who is emotional, uh, emotional, and vulnerable. Yeah, <laughs> and vulnerable. <laughs> Somebody who, above and beyond, isn't about outward appearances, but inner value. And we also realized along the way that being a pussy has nothing to do with your assigned gender. Absolutely not. It's about who you are as an individual and a being. It's about your core values, your ethics, your morals, and your personality. And sometimes that means you're a like middle fingers in the air, suck my dick, fuck you person. And sometimes you're a soft, emotional, empathetic individual who just wants to like wrap everyone in a hug. Both of those things can make you a pussy. Yeah. And to all of the pussies out there, we salute you. This episode is for you. Absolutely. Stay true to yourself and we'll be right back with our second annual Pussy Hall of Fame. Yeah. See you soon, witches. thanks dude awesome so before we jump into our first inductee of 2021 why do we always do it in this week of the year or always as in the second time in a row the second time in a row (laughs) i mean but it's It's a thing it's warranted yeah we decided to make it a thing yeah dude i mean this is our thing so we can do whatever the fuck we want (laughs) right (laughs) exactly (laughs) well it's because in a few days, it's going to be International Women's Day. It sure is. It also is. your birthday. Also my birthday. Yeah. So on March 8th, every year, it's International Women's Day. But on a certain March 8th, in the year 1982, a young woman gave birth. Or, rather, the day before, was admitted into the <laughs> hospital in labor a month early. She was given a sonogram and was told, yes, you are certainly, your body is certainly ready to give birth to this child, but this child is not ready to come out. That child was breached. That means butt down. (laughs) Well, it was, uh, no, uh, she was, she was kind of like gently rocking sideways. She wasn't butt down. She wasn't head down. She was just chilling. (laughs) She was sucking her thumb. While this was all happening, mama's body was like, get me out. And baby was like, no, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Baby was delivered in an emergency cesarean. She would eventually become known as the cool sister. The cool sister of five sisters. That baby was me. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) And so now, in honor of Lindsay's birthday and International Women's Day, we'd like to honor some other kick-ass pussies out there and talk a little bit about some of our faves, some people we've just learned about who deserve a fucking shout-out. 
Now, these are going to be all different individuals. And if you want to go back and listen to last year's episode, we talked about Courtney Love, Julia Child, the Night Witches, and Jenny Bingham. But this year, we got some extra special people for you. Yeah. And honestly, you guys, it's really hard for us to narrow this down. Oh, my God. It's so hard. In going through this, I think we had a, like, we had a very long list yeah. of individuals. And it was hard because, you know, it's one episode. And there was no grading system of this person over that person. So as we go through this, we'll talk a little bit about our own personal connection or thoughts on the individual and why we chose them. But this is really about them and highlighting some badass pussies in this case this year all women who you know have made a difference who have stood up for something who have changed the world around them totally dude ronnie our first pussy drum roll <laughs> is mary eliza mahoney the first african-american licensed nurse heck yeah so before we get into the story of Mary Eliza, I wanted to take a moment to, one, thank all the nurses, medical professional, hospital staff, and otherwise first responders who have fucking hung in there over the past year. In thinking about who we wanted to talk about and highlight this year, what I kept coming back to is I really want to talk about somebody in the medical profession. And not just somebody in the medical profession, because aside from, on top of all the shit we've all been going through with COVID, I really wanted to highlight a person of color. I really want to talk about somebody who we maybe hadn't heard of, didn't know about. So I went and did a little sleuthing, a little digging, and came up with Mary Eliza Mahoney. And she is rad as fuck. So, Mary Eliza Mahoney was born in the spring of 1845 here in Boston, Massachusetts. Woo woo. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I was pretty stoked to find out she was a local. <laughs> So the exact birth of her date isn't known. Uh, they didn't keep a lot of great records back then, especially for individuals of color, especially because on top of all of that, her parents were freed slaves who had moved to Boston from North Carolina. So they were like extra undocumented. But we know it's sometime in the spring. There's some records that say April and some that say May. So we're just going to say spring. She was educated. She went to school at the Phillips School in Boston, which was one of the first integrated schools in the country after 1855. So that was pretty cool. That is really cool. And when she was in her teens, she began working at the New England Hospital for Women and Children, where she worked for a fucking long time, for like 15 years. Yeah, dude, 15 years. That's, that's a, a long-ass time. crazy amount of time. So she knew as a teenager she wanted to be a nurse. So this was her goal. This wasn't just like, ah, oh, I guess I'll fucking work there. She was like, I want to be a nurse. I want to help people, and I want to be a nurse. So in order to do that, this is what I have to do. You know what's even crazier, though, That was that when she started working there at the age of 20, she took a role as an untrained practical nurse so she was allowed to practice without being trained without a license yeah she so at that point licensing nurses was fairly new ish i'll say because she's not necessarily the first african-american nurse she's not necessarily the first african-american female nurse 
She's the first licensed nurse. So like Harriet Tudman, great example. She worked as a nurse for a long time. There's many women who worked as nurse, uh, who like helped the ill, who treated the injured. But when the licensing came into play, this was very much A, not for individuals of color, and B, not for ladies, yeah. which is weird because I think at this point, a lot of people have the opposite opinion and they're like, oh, nurses, Mm-mm. nurses are female, yeah. not male. And I'm and like, when you oh, see who fucking ma- cares? When people see a male nurse, they're like, oh, you're a male nurse. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> why aren't you a doctor? <laughs> like, it's so awful. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy that it's still like ingrained in people's minds now that men are doctors, women are nurses. A hundred percent. So... As you said, at 20, she takes this role as an untrained nurse. She's basically a nurse assistant. And that didn't quite pay the bills. So on top of that, she supplements her work with a bunch of different things. She works as a janitor, a cook, a washerwoman, which is basically she does laundry. Uh, And she gets this opportunity to work as an assistant or nurse's aide. And that, like, teaches her a fair amount on, like, how to be a nurse or what's expected. And this just makes her want to be a nurse even more. She's like, yes, this is what I've call- been called to do. This is what I want out of my life. So at the age of 33, now she starts at in her teens. At 20, she becomes a nurse's aide. At 33, she decides to go to school. She gets an opportunity to go to the sort of professional graduate school, the college of nursing, the program that is run by the hospital to become a nurse. You know what was exceptional about this hospital at the time, though? Uh, sorry to jump in. No, but no, it was exceptional it. because it had an all women staff of physicians. Which is fucking dope. So dope. I, I think this, and in a future episode, this like hospital deserves its own episode about how awesome <laughs> it was and how much it moved forward medical, uh, like understanding and procedures for women and children with its all female staff. So cool. So awesome. <laughs> but in, yeah, at 33, she decides to fucking like do it. She's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to enter this program. Who fucking changes careers at 33? I did it at 28. It is fucking hard. <laughs> it's so hard to go back to school or go to school as an adult. Yeah, it's it awful. Is. It really is. But she does it, man. It's a 16-month intensive course where they're working like 16-plus hours a day. She's responsible for like six patients at a time, which I'm sure out there there's a nurse listening, Calais, who's like, holy six? Oh, my God, what a luxury. <laughs> but at that point, that was a lot. That was, that was heavy-duty lifting for especially a student who, when they weren't responsible for taking care of patients were also like attending full day lectures and having to study on the side at night to be like okay this is the thing I have to remember for tomorrow I've got an exam okay with this chart for this patient all of that for for 16 months it was fucking hard it was hard and a lot of the students weren't able to complete the program because it had so many requirements yeah of 42 students in her program so 42 enter in 1878 only Four complete it in 1879. That's incredible. And she is one of them. Wow. So she is one of the women that finished the program, and she was the first African-American in the U.S. to earn a professional nursing license. Woo, Mary Eliza. <laughs> She's fucking awesome. So awesome. 
But her story doesn't end there because that would be short. Sure doesn't. (laughs) So after she becomes a nurse, she decides that um, she's going to actually enter a career in um, private nursing instead of public nursing. Because in public nursing, there was still a lot of fucking racism. A lot of people didn't want to be treated by a black nurse. A lot of hospitals didn't want to hire a black nurse. So she went into private care where she basically took care of wealthy white people in the New England, Boston area. And so she was like a family nurse. Some very wealthy people to have a private family nurse. I mean, I I feel like not a lot has changed since then. And no. there's a lot of wealthy white families <laughs> in the Boston area. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, but, you know, she was known as a fantastic nurse. She built her practice, her personal private practice, um, based on her patients and her caring bedside manner. And while she was acting as a nurse, working as a nurse, she joined a, a national organization of nurses and was like, cool, I want to belong to like the American Association of Nurses, something, something. And she was like, mm, you're all white <laughs> and you don't <laughs> like me much. And so she decided that what the group really needed was an advocate for the equality of African-American nurses. So in 1908, she co-founds the National Association of Colored Graduate Nurses. Girl. Yeah. Get it. Yep. She's like, you know what? It's not enough work for me to be a nurse. I also am going to lift up those around me and advocate for their equality and their rights and their education and promote them and and give other women, other black women, a leg up. And that's what makes a fucking pussy. A hundred percent. So she fucking does this for 40 years. She's on this board. She's a nurse. She's owning it, living it. 40 years later, she retires. After retiring, I feel like Mary Eliza was like, "Mm, I'm bored. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Because she becomes the director of the Howard Orphanage Asylum for Black Children in Kings Park, Long Island in New York. She fucking takes over an orphanage. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) she, 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 she didn't know how to... How to be quiet. She didn't know how to like just just be still. <laughs> She's like, nope, I'm gonna work some more. I got more to give. Yeah, she didn't. I envy that. I really do. That drive. Yep. So she was she spent her life caring, giving, taking care of others. And she continued to champion women's rights. She was, after the 19th Amendment, was ratified in the US, one of the first women who registered to vote in Boston. So cool. She spent her life just being dope and fucking an awesome pussy. Rad as hell. (laughs) So as all stories come to an end, Mary Eliza lived until she was 80 or 81. There's some conflicting messages there. But she died on January 4th, 1926, after three years of battling breast cancer. She fucking fought it out for three years, too. Yeah. Hats off to her. Yeah. Now, I mentioned this only in that she is currently buried, still buried, was buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in Everett, Massachusetts. So those of you who are listening and local, Everett is a hop, skip, and a jump away from our recording studio. It is very close. And there you can find a monument that was erected for her 
1973 because, now I'm going to go on a little tangent here. Do it. So, because after she died, she was the recipient of several awards and memorials. In 1936, the National Association for Colored Graduate Nurses founded the Mary Mahoney Award in honor of her achievements. This was given to nurses or groups of nurses who promote integration within their field. So, one of those recipients, Helen Sullivan Miller, gets the medal in 1968. And she's like, that's fucking dope. She's like, I'm going to go check out the gravesite of the individual for whom this was founded. She goes to the cemetery. What does she find? A more or less unmarked grave. A, like, tiny little headstone covered in weeds and grass, grown over in an undescript area of the cemetery. Terrible. So she decides to do something about it. And she spearheads a drive to have a proper monument for Mahoney. She gets a bunch of sororities uh, that all chip in, do fundraisers, and they basically like get the funding to create and erect a proper gravesite, a proper monument and memorial in 1973. And that particular headstone was designed by another recipient of her award, the Mahoney Award, Mabel Stoppers. Who, more tangent, is a nurse in her own right and instrumental in ending the United States Army policy of excluding African Americans from the ranks in World War II. So, Miss Stoppers, M- Ms. Stoppers, I don't know actually, Mabel Stoppers, <laughs> that's the more important thing. Who gives a fuck what their, <laughs> what their marital status right. is? <laughs> Mabel Stoppers. She designs this beautiful headstone. They put it in place, and there it sits to this day. They actually even had a little, like in 1983, they had a little like grave site uh, cleanup to make sure that the site would be protected from henceforth. Awesome, dude. So that's the story of Mary Eliza Mahoney. Mary Eliza, we think you're so cool. <laughs> Cue applause. Ronnie, who we got next? Okay. Oh, we're ready. I'm psyched for this one. Our second inductee of 2021 is Bessie Coleman. Bessie Coleman. Brave Bessie, Queen Bees, the only race aviatrix in the world. This bitty, so cool. First African American and the first Native American. Female pilot. Dope, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I can't help but notice we did pilots last year and this year. I think there's something there. <laughs> right? I mean, but, like, back in the day, it was such, like, a daredevil sort of, like, career, I, I guess. It's to, so it's so gutsy. A hundred percent. It was fucking hard. And it's, it's a STEM job. You need, yeah. like, science, technology, fucking engineering and math to make it work. And it's... It's like it was brave and daring and dangerous and fucking women weren't allowed to do it, let alone a black indigenous woman. And Bessie was like, fuck you to all of that, man. Bessie was 
She was all about it. A hundred percent. Okay. Lindsay. Story of Bessie. All right. So Bessie. Bessie was born in Atlanta, Texas on January 26th in 1892. She had 12 siblings. Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Brothers and sisters. This gal had a big ass family. Her mama was an African-American maid and her, her dad was a sharecropper, but, and he was, he was native American and also an African-American. In 1901, her dad decided to move the family back to Oklahoma to try to escape discrimination. Right. Because he was, he was indigenous. And at that point in time, it was unfortunately more dangerous to be indigenous in Texas than it wasn't to be black. So he moved back to Oklahoma, which was, had a higher, I suppose, indigenous population. Yes, absolutely. But her mom decided not to go with him. And so her mom and the rest of the family ended up staying in Texas. And Bessie grew up helping her mom pick cotton and wash laundry to earn extra money. But by the time she was 18, she had saved enough money to attend the Colored Agricultural and Normal University, which is now Langston University. Uh, <laughs> words are hard. University in, uh, in Langston, Oklahoma. Uh, she dropped out of college after only one semester, though, because she couldn't afford to attend. Which I think some people may poo-poo and frown on and whatever and be like, it's fucking sad. It's awful. There's lots of people that run into that situation. But I think what should be celebrated here is at this point in time, it was rare not only for um, anybody to graduate high school, but let alone somebody to go to college. And then on top of that, for them to be black, indigenous, female, and low income. Absolutely. So she fucking rocked it. Absolutely, dude. But by the time that she was 23, like this gal, she had some drive. Some of her brothers were living in Chicago. So in 1915, she decided to move to Chicago and she went to school to become a manicurist and started working in a local barbershop. She actually also worked in a barbershop that was owned by the organization that owned the White Sox. She used to, um, she was a very attractive woman. She used to sit in a window and do men's nails because at that point, most manicures were, uh, customers were male. And she would sit and do their nails and give them a nice little cuticle trim and buff uh, and, and look all super cute in the window and make them money. Right? So weird. So Super weird. <laughs> so weird how times have changed. Ronnie, tell me about her brothers a little bit, though. Oh, so her brothers uh, served in the military during World War I. And her brother John basically came back with all these great stories of how you know heroic he felt and how meaningful uh, the work that they had done was. And he used to tease her because in France, the women that he met were pilots. They were allowed to learn how to fly. And Bessie, being American, could not. He was like, ha-ha, sorry, you should have been born in France. And she literally said, fuck you. <laughs> Good for her. I'd say fuck you, John, too. Maybe Asshole. not in so many words, but the quote that I saw was, well, it's been decided. <laughs> and at that point, she just made up her mind. She was going to do it because she was told she couldn't. Yeah, we already know that Bessie has some drive, so... How'd she go about this? What'd she do? So she applies to all the different flight schools in the U.S. She's like, I'm going to become a pilot. Fuck it. I'm going to do it. Nobody could tell me I can't. 
and no school wants her. Some don't want her because she's black, some don't want her because she's indigenous, and others don't want her because she's a woman. And some are like, fuck it, that's the triad, not happening. Triple threat. And so she, in this same time period, because she's working as a manicurist, In the sort of more predominant shop owned by predominant folks, she gets to know some pretty cool people. And one of them was Roger Abbott. And Roger Abbott was an editor of a local bigwig newspaper. And he basically had the the wherewithal to say, well, why don't you apply to the schools in France? If you can't become a pilot here, but you can there, learn French, go to France. And so that's what she fucking did. She started (laughs) taking night classes to learn French because the applications for the flight schools in France had to be completed in French. That is so dope. (laughs) And, of course, because she's awesome, she gets accepted. So off she fucking goes to France. Of course she does. (laughs) (laughs) And she gets uh, accepted to the... Uh, Caudron Brothers School of Aviation in Le Cotroy, France, where she gets her international pilot's license. So she walks to this fucking school every day. She does all of her, like, navigation shit that she needs to do. She, like, watches a bunch of her classmates die. Because this is, like, the early 20s when planes don't have tops and, like, are barely held together with wire and glue and nobody really knows what they're doing. (laughs) And she watches a bunch of her, like, classmates crash and die. There's no safety mechanisms. There's no, like... Pull the pull the lever and parachute out. Right. There's none of that. And there were no like roofs on Mm-mm. planes either. Nope. And so she's she sticks with it. She's like, yeah, I see that. I get it. It's dangerous. I'm gonna do this. So she learns everything. She learns everything from the like basic how to fly a plane to the more like trick important stuff that maybe a fighter pilot would need to know, or an aerialist, or in this case, an aviatrix. And so she learned loop the loop, how to like plummet and turn off the plane's engine, how to climb super fast, super high, and how to land with the engine shut off. So dope. And on June 15th, 1921, from the Fédération Aéronautique Internationale, she gets her international pilot's license, number 18.310. Ah, Bessie! (laughs) I'm so psyched for her. (laughs) Right? I just love that she was like, I'm fucking going to do this, and did it. I love it, too. I love it so, 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 so much. So... She got her pilot's license. She's like, fucking awesome. I did it. I'm going to come back to the U.S. and be a dope-ass pilot. But the U.S. fucking sucked. So Bessie is like, (laughs) I'm going to come back. She starts looking for an airplane. She's like, I'm going to get my own airplane. I'm going to open my own flight school. I'm going to be an awesome pilot, and I'm going to encourage other black and indigenous folks and other women to become pilots and do what they want to do. Except when she gets back to the U.S., She is basically continuously rejected because of her race and gender. Not surprised. (laughs) Nobody is. (laughs) So she's like, ah, fuck this. And refusing to give up, she goes back to Europe. In 1922, she's like, fuck it. I'm going to learn more on the job training. I want to be such a good pilot and learn with the best that when I do come back to the U.S., they won't be able to ignore me. So... She trains in France, Germany, Holland, and Switzerland. 
She studied with the famous World War I German ace pilot, Captain Keller, and test piloted airplanes in Netherlands with Anthony Fokker, also known as the Flying Dutchman. Dope, dude. <laughs> she fucking, she found the best. And she was like, these, I will, I will learn with the best and nobody can ignore me now. So that's what she does. And then she comes back to the U.S. She comes back to the U.S. And then she flew in her first air show on September 3rd in 1922 in Garden City, New York. And she became a celebrity. Yeah. That guy, Roger Abbott. Yeah. Wrote about her in his paper. His yeah, big fancy dude. paper. Yeah, he totally did. She began touring the country, giving exhibitions and flight lessons and lectures. And during her travels, she very strongly encouraged African-Americans and women to learn to fly. Yeah. And this whole time, she made it very clear that her goal was to own her own plane and operate her own flight school. So she would she would do like exhibitionist tours where she was paid to do tricks. Sometimes one time she uh, was paid to do like a flight stunt. But the person who was paid to jump out of an airplane in a parachute didn't show up. So she was like, fuck it. I'll do it. I'll show them that women can do that too. With no training, jumped out of an airplane in a parachute. Brave Bessie. (laughs) But this whole time, she's like giving speeches. She's showing films of her air tricks and churches, theaters, schools. And she's trying to just basically leverage money to buy her own plane. And she's, she's working really hard through all of this. Uh, but at the same time is becoming a bit of an anti-segregation activist because she kept getting invited to do stunts, to do shows where they were like, this side of the audience is for white people and this side of the audience is for not white people or this entrance or how about if you're not white, you just don't come. And to that, Bessie said, go fuck yourselves. Yeah, she refused to perform unless there was only one gate for everyone to use. Absolutely. She refused to perform at shows where there was any form of segregation. She just wouldn't do it. If she showed up and discovered this was happening, she'd go back and forth with management for quite a while. And if she didn't get her way, she wouldn't go on. But she was quite the celebrity, so she often did. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Unfortunately... There were some accidents. Yeah, I mean, being a pilot, especially in 1920s, was dangerous. It was really dangerous. Yeah, dude. Only two years into her flight career, in February of 1923, Bessie's airplane engine suddenly stopped working and she crashed. She was really, really badly hurt in the accident and she suffered a broken leg and a few cracked ribs and cuts on her face. However, the accident didn't stop her from flying. She actually told the reporters who were there on scene because they were covering her the air show when she was being carried off in a stretcher, tell the world I'll be back. And back she was. And she kept flying for a fucking long ass time. She flew for another, like another three, four years. It took her a while to recover. I think she was in the hospital for three or four months. But once she was out of the hospital, she got right back in it. She sure did. However, on April 30th in the year 1926, she went on a test flight with a mechanic named William Wills. Wills was piloting the plane. And Coleman 
she sat in the passenger seat. At about 3,000 feet in the air, a loose wrench got stuck in the engine of the aircraft, and William was not able to control the steering wheel, and the plane flipped over. Now, we already mentioned that there were no roofs. <laughs> we check off gun this thing. On <laughs> planes. <laughs> yeah, this sucks. At I read this, this and I was like, time. oh my god. And Bessie wasn't wearing a seatbelt, so when that plane flipped over, Bessie fell out. At 3,000 feet. She didn't survive it. A few moments later, the air crash with uh, Willis uh, with Wills crashed just a few feet away from Coleman's body. And at the end of the investigation, they discovered it was a loose wrench in the engine that had jammed up the controls. Yeah. Totally preventable. William didn't survive the crash either. But we're not sharing this story because of her sad death, but because of everything she accomplished in her very short, poignant, and productive life. She was so cool and so brave. And in memorial, the famous activist Ida B. Wells Barnett performed the funeral service to honor Coleman in Chicago. In 1931, the Challenger Pilots Association of Chicago started a flying tradition, and every year they fly over Coleman's grave. She has a number of other awards and accolades, post-humorous, but all in all, I just love her like, I, I can do it because I so choose to. I'm smart enough. I'm brave enough. I'm strong enough. I'm, I'm going to take on the world and nobody can tell me otherwise because of my race or my gender. Exactly. Don't tell me what I can't do, motherfucker. And then on top of that, she <laughs> took everyone around her and tried to lift them up with her. So cool. Fucking awesome. Bessie Coleman, I did not know about you before this, and I'm so glad I do now. So you are a fucking pussy hall of fame for life. Such a pussy. All right, we've got one more pussy for you, but we're going to take a quick break and come right on back with our third and final inductee for 2021. Totally. We'll see you soon, witches. Welcome back. Yeah. All right, we have our third and final inductee for the Pussy Hall of Fame 2021. It is... My drums. You're such a good drum player. It is Maud Stevens-Wagner. Heck yeah, dude. First known female American tattoo artist oh yeah so dope she is the lady who is sitting with the sultry scowl salty i'm gonna say sultry not sultry salty scowl who's got like the strapless outfit and the pearl choker she's sort of sitting cross-armed her hair's all up like a gibson girl and she's and absolutely covered she's covered from the neck down she's the, she's that girl that that individual that you see in so many like fucking t-shirts and posters and yeah. whatever 
that's that's our name. Yeah, she's like the quintessential female old-timey tattooed woman. And she's fucking dope. She is fucking dope. And nobody really knows who she is, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, it's funny because you suggested Maud and I knew who she was. But when I read it, when you had typed it out, I was like, I don't fucking know who that is. (laughs) And so I Googled it and I was like, I know who that is. Like, I do. And it wasn't just like, oh, I recognize the the picture. I was like, oh, I, I know a little bit about her. But I just, I don't know, sometimes... The name and the pictures, it doesn't always all quite come together. Yeah. And I think that's the case for I, like her image is so iconic at this point, I think. Her image is iconic. And, but I, and unfortunately, I feel like when a lot of people see the image, they immediately think back to like Sailor Jerry tattoos or something right. like that, rather than recognizing her as the tattoo artist that she was. A hundred percent. Which is unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And so... Uh, I think we, you know, obviously want to talk a little bit about Maud, but before we jump into that, why Maud? Like beyond being a fucking rad ass bitch who like was a tattoo artist and the like first of her kind, it was covered in an era where like it wasn't cool, but I mean, let's be honest here. You and I both have tattoos. We both have tattoos. We're both like semi-heavily tattooed we're, we're pretty hell yeah you're have yeah. more heavily tattooed than i am but we're both pretty pretty tattooed ladies yeah we've been being been being tattooed <laughs> i guess is the way to say it for a while now yep. uh myself for over 20 years oh i'm i'm just a baby and by by comparison <laughs> i got my first tattoo in oh gosh in 2015 I got my first tattoo in 1999. Wow. Man, I wanted tattoos well before I got them. (laughs) But yeah, I got my first one in in 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. I can't quite remember. What ribs? That was fun. Oh, goodness. Ooh, Mm. I haven't gone there yet. I I started on my neck, which was a (laughs) terrible idea. And I'm I'm getting that tattoo covered up now because it was a terrible tattoo. But it's, it's still awful. For me, on my neck at least. I know that it's not the same for everybody, depending on like where you're getting tattooed, how awful the pain level is. But girl, for (laughs) me, my neck is not great. That's fair. Yours is on the back of your neck, right? Yeah, it fucking yeah. sucks. Mine's on, my neck tattoo is on the side, which I actually recently got called out on on a work Zoom. And I think that's kind of why I wanted to talk just for a second about how the fact that like you and I are both tattooed. And, and what does that mean? Even in 2021, this is still a like... It's, it's a much more common thing. It's a much more cool thing. But there are still individuals, especially in the professional business world, that are like, oh, I didn't know you had a neck tattoo. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, woman, I've had it for like four years. <laughs> yeah, there's still a stigma. I remember growing up, my grandmother always telling me, never get a tattoo men won't like you or like men men of a certain uh class Mm -hmm. I suppose will not like you and I was like oh okay grandma whatever and but my mom would say similar things too and my mom my mother is not that way anymore she has become much more accepting over the years and she actually bought me my first tattoo when I was 17 years old so that's changed quite a bit, but there is still a stigma and it's it's kind of crazy. It's it- super crazy. And I think that this is something that if you're not heavily tattooed or don't have a visible tattoo as well, because I think that's the thing that I've noticed 
you know, having a secret tattoo on my ribs, like nobody can see it. And if they can see it, then I'm in a place where like, it doesn't really matter at this point. Like I'm at the beach or something like that. And even having tattoos on my arms, it was like, well, if I really wanted to, I could just roll my sleeves down and they might get a peek like at my wrist, but that's about it. But having one on my neck, I knew full well getting what I got, where I got it, that people will be able to see it. And that might like produce a certain reaction, but I do, I still find it slightly intriguing, interesting, sometimes alarming when people are like, Oh, it's an interesting choice. But I mean, getting like getting tattooed, I didn't think about it. Like I was like, this is a thing that I want and I'm just going to go and do it. And I, I also grew up with the like connotations of, a certain social class of women had tattoos Mm -hmm. and the rest of the world did not. And it was hard women that had tattoos. Women that were like hard women, hard women, uh, (laughs) women that were like salty smokers, heavy drinkers, had a hard knocks life were difficult to get along with. were like all the kinds of things that I'm like, fucking a, I want to have a beer with that person. Right. (laughs) But they weren't the like wholesome, respectable, kind, loving, like those two things didn't go together. And I think that that's where, uh, Maude Steven Wagner's comes into play where it's like, she got all of this well before, like we're complaining about like somebody being like, Oh, on zoom, you have a neck tattoo. And I'm like, she was covered in a time where like women did not get tattoos. They didn't dude. They really didn't. It was, she was one of a kind back then. She really was. So Maud was born in February of 1877 in Lyon County, Kansas. And throughout her youth, Maud spent a lot of time traveling with local circus acts and sideshows. And she was an aerialist and an acrobat and a contortionist, which I think like to do, to be doing that as a youth and like knowing where that's where your life is going to be going so young, I just think is so cool and so interesting in and of itself. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think that it's also worth noting that that right there puts her on the fringes of society. It absolutely In does. the same way that like circus performers now are still on the fringes of society, right alongside burlesque dancers, pole dancers, and strippers. It's like, come on, <laughs> still? But. Yeah, dude, absolutely. As a young adult, as she, as she entered into adulthood, she eventually like graduated from performing with these local circuses to working with traveling circuses, which eventually led her to the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition, also known as the St. Louis World's Fair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, which I, it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> it it was a pretty big deal, and I like I I always knew it as the St. Louis World's Fair. I don't know if if that's like the the pet name that everybody else knows it by. Oh but, yeah, I, I, I like even in Canada that was like I'm familiar with that term. Not that Canada is so far away <laughs> removed, but I think that that's a common commonality. Well, in 1904, the exposition was the place to be to witness some of the world's most famous performers and inventors. Like, if you wanted to see the coolest shows on Earth, this was where you were going to see them. And it was here that Maude met this dude named Gus Wagner, and he was known as the Tattooed Globetrotter. 
he was a well-known tattoo artist who happened to be one of the last still tattooing by hand using the stick and poke method. Because at this time, like the, uh, the electric tattooing machines had been invented and a lot of people were transitioning to using those. Right. And I think in recent years, we've seen a switch in the tattoo community. I wouldn't say a switch, but there has been a resurgence and a rekindling of interest in stick and poke tattoos. So you can, if you Google in most major cities, find a well-known artist who does traditional stick and poke method, who has learned from somebody who has learned from somebody as all good tattoo artists do. But at that point, it was very passe it was you know it was it was tribal it was it was savage it was poo-pooed well I mean yeah 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 yeah. but up until like the the electric tattoo machine had like it hadn't been around for very long so the transition I think for a lot of artists was fairly easy it was it had like within the past like 10 years I want to say maybe maybe like 15 20 years it had started becoming more relevant but the the stick and poke thing was it wasn't like it is today looked it wasn't looked at like what like it was today where where you see people doing stick and pokes on instagram and you're like ooh, right it wasn't it wasn't this cool classy artistic thing it was it was this even then looked at as sort of this archaic bygone era of tattoos at that point yes archaic At, at this point now, when I see people doing stick and pokes on like Instagram, I'm like, oh, you were never trained how to tattoo. <laughs> but with Gus, it, this, like this was his trade. He had been doing this for a long yes. time. Like he already knew what he was doing. So as the story goes, Maud met Gus there. Gus was super into Maud. Maude was super into tattoos. <laughs> Classic romance love story. I want to draw heart around it. <laughs> right? Not necessarily into Gus, but super into tattoos. And Gus wanted to take Maude out on a date. So they struck a deal. Maude would go out with Gus if Gus gave her a tattoo lesson. Although it's a bit unclear whether Gus offered the lesson or whether Maude demanded the lesson <laughs> either way it's a little weird to me it's a it's, it's bordering on a little pervy there's a little quid pro quo <laughs> i'm in power and i know what you want i'll teach you this thing but first you gotta go out with me well but it could have been mod too it could have been mod totally. being like oh i'll go out with you but i want to know how to do this thing so i'm only gonna go out with you if you do this thing depends on it yeah. depends on the story that you listen to yep really it does it's it it really is a little unclear anyway Maud continued seeing Gus and she continued apprenticing under him, learning how to tattoo on her own body as well as the bodies of others. She would tattoo circus co-workers and she would tattoo audience members mostly. Um, and as she learned, she allowed Gus to tattoo her. And it wasn't long before she became completely covered in tattoos. Which basically made her a sideshow attraction. Yeah, she absolutely became a sideshow attraction herself. Um, they fell in love, Maude and Gus, the two of them. Yeah, took several years. They, But just, you know, they had a shared interest and spent all their time together. And before you know it, 
They were married. They did. They got married. And after a little while, they decided to leave the circus. And they started performing in vaudeville houses and county fairs uh, and moving inland from the coasts to do these performances. They were often credited, the two of them, with bringing tattoo culture inland from the coastal cities. Which was really cool because it, it allowed people who weren't living in coastal towns to learn the trade and for tattoo culture to be spread around the fucking country. Absolutely, because at this point in time, the majority of folks who had tattoos, including Gus, got them because they were sailors. And yes. and that's, you know, so it was related to coastal cities because sailors had tattoos. Sailors, and also uh, a lot of them had to do with being in the military. Absolutely, yeah. For sure. And, you know, at that point, the Navy was still not that the Navy isn't still a big thing, but there are there is a long tradition of military tattoos. Yeah, absolutely. And so coastal towns had more naval forts and more naval bases and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it was it wasn't just an everywhere thing like it is now. Now, uh, Maude's tattoos that Gus gave her and that she gave herself were pretty typical of the period. She had a lot of, like, patriotic tattoos. She had a lot of tattoos of animals, like monkeys, butterflies, uh, lions, horses, snakes, and women. And this was all during a time when women had limited rights and a lot of limited social restrictions. So she was breaking down barriers, both as a tattooed female and as a female tattoo artist. Like this had not been heard of. Yeah, she, I mean, you can Google her pretty easily and we'll throw a picture up on our Instagram, but you know, she was covered from like the chin down and that just like, that was unheard of it was people with tattoos during this time were perceived as lower class citizens and she became a tattoo artist despite her parents objections like gus Maud exclusively used the stick and poke method she just because of the way that he taught her she just decided to never go with the electric machines which i think is pretty fucking dope it is because dope. there's nothing wrong with an electric ma- uh, machine i've only been tattooed by them but like, but there's something so intricately beautiful and difficult yeah. about the like about a really traditional and well done stick and poke. Yeah, like that's fucking hardcore. I think so too. Now they had a kid, the oh. two of them. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and they named her Lavetta. Dope. That sorry. Can I just pause for a second? Yeah. The name Lavetta is a fucking rad name. Right, <laughs> dude? I think so, too. Like, if I ever had a kid, I probably wouldn't name her Lavetta, but I think it is a cool name. Uh, so, Lavetta followed in her parents' footsteps. She actually began her tattoo apprenticeship at the age of nine. Dude, that's amazing. Right? And she, she kept on with the stick and poke tradition, and she became a pretty well-known artist. Maude refused to let Gus tattoo Lavetta. Oh, and after Gus died, Lavetta said, if I can't get tattooed by him, I won't get tattooed by anybody. And Lavetta is what was one of the very few probably artists of that time who never had a tattoo of their own. Wow. Yeah. Like 
she just never had anybody else tattoo her. Nobody tattooed her. That's ever. amazing. Yeah. The last tattoo that she ever did was a stick and poke right before her death in 1983. She did a rose on Ed Hardy. Oh. Yeah. Who is unfortunately, I think, mostly known for some really gaudy clothing yep. at this point. At but, this point, yeah. But, but it before then, was a pioneer in tattooing in his own right. Yeah. Maude died in January of 1961 in Lawton, Oklahoma. But she left behind a legacy of empowerment that we still, as women, see and adhere to today. Absolutely. She she saw an art form that she wanted to pursue, pursued it, and she got to determine what was right for her body and wouldn't take no from anybody. And, and I really applaud that. I don't think I would be able to have the tattoos that I have and love and be socially acceptable uh, with them for the most part without somebody like Maude coming before me. Absolutely. She was a pioneer. In fact... In 2012, in the United States, more women were tattooed in men than men for the first time ever. Oh, uh, yeah. 23% of women versus 19% of men. Fucking dope. Hell yeah, dude. Go mod. Go mod. <laughs> go, go, go mod. So those are our inductees for the 2021 Pussy Hall of Fame. I hope that this inspires you to follow your dreams, pursue your heart, stand up for what you believe in, lift up those around you and make it easier for those who follow you to do as they love and desire and maybe get a tattoo. Yeah, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Seize the day, witches. Awesome. Well, this is always a super special episode for us, and we'll wrap it up real quick with just a couple of plugs. So I've mentioned on our Instagram, which is 5C2P pod on the old Instagram, but I am doing, I being Ronnie, I'm doing a little tarot, uh, I don't know what to call it. Salon. A little, I'm going to call it a salon. Oh, I, I like a, I yeah. like a salon, yeah. Doing a little tarot salon with my yoga coven. So Black Widow Yoga. You can find them on Instagram as well. And they are uh, spearheaded by a fantastic yogi named Tina, who teaches out of Austin, formerly of Salem. And there's multiple teachers. Haley is fantastic. She teaches Monday. Crystal Rose teaches sometimes on Thursdays. There's a cool chakra series coming up on Tuesdays in March. But for every March, uh, for every March, yeah, for every Tuesday (laughs) in March, I will be doing uh, two different tarot reading selections for Coven members. So you can join Black Widow Yoga through Union Fit. I believe it's $35 a month for a monthly membership. There's so much going on there. So that's my plug. I love fucking love Black Widow Yoga. It's been a huge thing for me over the past year to feel comfortable in my body, to escape from anxiety, to feel strong and powerful in my own way and just listen to what I need and learn to be more accepting and more thankful 
but also more appreciative of what I can and have accomplished. And I hope to be able to bring all of those sentiments and more to tarot readings on Tuesdays in March. And I will post little little tarot bits here and there on the Instagram, 45C2P, um, throughout the month of March as well, just so you can follow along. I am so psyched for you, dude. Thanks. I'm very <laughs> excited about this. <laughs> when when Tina put out a call for like, you know, would you like to teach other classes? Are you a coven member that has something to offer? I was like, I'll just throw it out there. And it took a couple of weeks for her to respond because she's also a student. But when she did, I got to say, I like my heart leapt. <laughs> I was oh. so excited. So I've got this cool, dope tarot like takeaway um, PDF that was designed by a good friend and designer friend of mine, Megan Kane. And so I'm going to plug all these folks. If you're wondering, listening along, and you're like, why the fuck is the Instagram all of a sudden full of this yoga nonsense? It's because I'm full of yoga nonsense. Yes. And I'm going to spread it. You should. You're going to be so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait until next week's episode, perhaps when we dive a little bit more into Lindsay's birthday. Yes. <laughs> it, it really is a birth month. Anyway, yes, exactly. All right. Oh, but we've guys. got a real special treat for you next week and can't wait to be joined together again. But until then, drop us a line on 5C2P pod. Wish Lindsay a happy birthday. And remember, no pervs. No Nazis. Yeah, totally.